You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 6. And then I want to read a couple of verses from chapter 8, and then a couple of verses from chapter number 10, and give you the thought for tonight. It's been good to be in church today, hasn't it? All day, from Sunday school all the way up through this evening, God has been good to us. Even last night, I said this this morning, it really started last night in men's prayer meeting, and it just kind of overflowed. And that's why it's so important, men, if you're not coming, that you consider it and come and be a part of men's prayer meeting. It just sort of is like the kindling wood. We get the fire started, and then it kind of bleeds over into Sunday. And God's been good to us today. And uh, looking forward to uh, just being with you for a few minutes here. I'm praying God will take the, the truth and help us Really, it's not like a, an exciting amen kind of a message. I hope it's just the building kind of a message for your life. And it has been for mine as I've been studying it. I do feel a lot of pressure, though, to preach a good message because of what Pastor did when he introduced me. And then also, Brother Flood, right before I got up, said, can I have that outline when you're done with it? And I said, no, I might use it again somewhere else. And he kind of looked sad, and I said, all right, you can have it. And I'll print it. He goes, good. I said, but it'll be spit all over it and sweat. And he goes, that's what I want. That's the one I want. But don't sell it. I, I gave a Bible to a young preacher one time, just trying to be nice to him. Just gave him one, a Bible. I don't know if that means anything, but just gave him one. And then I was in New York or something, and I saw this guy with my Bible, and I thought, what in the world happened? And the kid sold it to him for some reason. So wherever you are, Brother Flood, it is not for, I just print it off anyway. It's for, it, the church pays for it, so you can't, Brother Sly would have to inventory everything if you sold it. First Corinthians chapter number six, and he would, verse, and we ought to, verse, uh, chapter six, and let's look at verse number 12 tonight. I want you to see what the Bible says. First Corinthians six, verse number 12, and then we'll read verse 19 and 20. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. Verse 19, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It is not saying that your body and your spirit are God's. It's saying that your body and your spirit are the possession of God. They belong to the Lord because you're bought with a price. In chapter number 8, and we'll get more context in a little bit, but in chapter number 8, there's a question in the Corinthian church whether or not they can eat meat that's been offered unto idols. Let me ask you the question. Is it okay for you to eat meat offered unto an idol? Yes. There's nothing wrong with it. Meat is meat. Unless it causes somebody who watches you eat the meat to stumble in their Christian life. And if it offends their conscience, then you can't do it because you sin against them and thus sin against God. Grace is sufficient to let you eat that meat unless it causes your brother to be offended. So look at the principle here in verse number 9. It says, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Chapter number 10, verse 23 and verse 24, and then verse 31. 
All these things tie together because he's dealing with the same thing throughout all six or all three of these chapters from six to verse number ten. Verse 23, all things, and here's the phrase again, all things are lawful for me. That means I am allowed to do them. They are legal. They are culturally acceptable. Society would say, go ahead, it's no problem. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And here's my purpose, verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. For a little while this evening, I want to preach to you this thought. There's a word here mentioned several times, and that word is expedient. Expedient means advantageous, helpful, promoting the right thing, beneficial, of worth, or of value. As a Christian, I am to operate in the realm of expediency, not excess. In the book of, was it First Peter, maybe Second Peter, Peter did say it, I know that it's in the Bible, but he said they think it's strange that you not, not run not with them to the same what, excess, right? The world thinks it's strange that the Christian doesn't operate in excess because the world operates in excess. Excess is overboard or inappropriate or too far with something. I'm to operate in the area of expediency. I think the issue that many Christians have where they live in excess instead of expediency is because they are not settled on there. Here it is, identity. They have an identity problem. Identity conflicts are not just something out in the world. It happens with Christian people. Whenever I discover that my identity died when I got born again, and now my identity is wrapped up in Christ, it changes the filter through which I do life. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? And I gravitate from excess, which is spiritual immaturity or even a lost carnal individual fulfilling the desires of the flesh to where I want to be spirit-filled, grow in grace, produce fruits of the Spirit, and no longer live in excess, but now I want to live in expediency because I'm not concerned with me, 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 self, 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 but Jesus, 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 God, 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 Bible, 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 others, others, others. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought, expediency, excess, and identity. And it really makes it easier to do the Christian life when we understand who we are. Let's pray. God, I pray for your help tonight, please. I pray you'd help me to present this truth in whatever way you want it presented, whether it be bombastic or teaching, whatever you want. I just pray that you'd help us to be strengthened tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Titus 1 and verse 15 says this, the first part of the verse, Unto the pure, all things are pure. Galatians 5 and verse number 1, if you want to write down the references and look them up later, you ought to. It says this, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Galatians 5.13, the first part, just the first part of that verse says, for brethren you have been called unto, what's it, the word? Liberty. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse number 1, the first part of the verse. It's funny how it's just the first part. But the first part says this, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? I want to talk to you just for a minute about identity. It's funny. We find our identity in our characteristics, do not. When somebody's funny, they kind of identify as I'm the funny person. When somebody thinks that they're good looking, they say, I identify, I'm a, I'm a good looking person. Or I'm an athlete, and they identify as an athlete. Some folks find their identity in their money. I, I'm a rich individual. 
or in their business. And if they ever lost their business, then they would just say, I'd rather just die. I don't know who I am anymore. You can get wrapped up in ministry and lose your identity in the ministry. You've probably heard these terms before, midlife crisis, right? It's a crisis of identity. What about this? I heard, I studied it out. There's a quarter life crisis. I don't know, but there is. Today it's big gender dysmorphia or gender dysphoria, two different things, but gender dysmorphia, where people look at themselves in the mirror and they are not satisfied with the gender assigned them by their creator. They have an identity problem. I read it said 37% of teenagers struggle with their identity. They're confused about that. They're confused and asking questions. Where do I fit? What's my social role? My sense of self? And it's important that you get that thing nailed down because from your identity comes your value system. And from your identity comes your worldview. And from your identity comes your priority. It's strange. You can see it on social media. People will say, my pronouns are. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? And I say, dumb and dumber. I'm just, that's probably not polite to say that in the place, stupider and stupiderest. But anyway, I mean, it's just, what in the world are you talking about? But the struggle is the struggle with identity. So I want to talk about it just a little bit tonight. For a few minutes, think with me practically. Think about your responsibility in mind. As a Christian, my responsibility is this. I am to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. An ambassador is a representative of a larger entity. An ambassador represents something far more powerful than himself. An ambassador stands for something that is beyond himself. An ambassador represents something that is greater than himself. An ambassador is no longer his own man. His words do not just speak for himself. His decisions no longer impact just himself. His actions no longer touch just himself. He is yoked to a larger collective body, whether it be a city, whether it be a county, whether it be a state, whether it be a nation. And his life is lost within the identity of whatever that entity is that now he represents. So here's what the ambassador has to do. He must now think via the filter of what he represents. He has to speak through the filter of what he represents. He has to respond through the filter of what he represents. When he accepted his ambassadorship, he signed his own death certificate. He died to self and his life was rearranged and given larger responsibility and a larger obligation and he's got new priorities and prerogatives because he is an ambassador. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, my Bible tells me, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. That means this, our life in this world is expected to be a life that reflects and represents Christ to those who are around us. After salvation, our identity changes. I think I could say it like this. In fact, our identity was erased and we were given a new identity. We're a new creature in Christ. Our identity went from being a lost person to a saved person. We went from a child of hell to a child of God. We went from a sinner condemned unclean to a saint that has been redeemed. And now we're not just another person in this world. There is a higher obligation a higher call and a higher duty because we are a Christian and that means an ambassador of Jesus Christ. 
Salvation placed us in the business of being an ambassador, not for self, not for our family, not even just for the church, but for Jesus Christ and Christianity at large. Salvation changed our identity. The old man died and the new man was born. And with the new identity came this enabling and the expectation to live a new life to to a set of higher principles and higher ideals and higher standards. You say, well, I don't like that. That's because you've got an identity problem. (laughs) Amen. Galatians 2.20, here's what the Bible says. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 Corinthians 6.20, I read it for you, bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 2 Timothy 2.4, no man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, so that it may please him who hath chosen him, to be a soldier. Hear the statement. The mature Christian life is nowhere close to being about me, me, me. The mature Christian life is not self, self, self. The mature Christian life is not even us, us, us. The mature Christian life is Lord, Lord, Lord. Spiritual spiritual maturity is not I'm going to live my life. Spiritual maturity is daily crucifixion, dying to self so that Christ might live through me. The ambassador for Christ who serves his office well understands the difference between expediency and excess. That means this, just because I can do something does not necessarily mean I should do something. Amen. I'm convinced because I've seen this at work in my own life. So don't act, don't think I'm looking high and down low or sitting high and looking low. I've seen this at work in my own life, but I can say this. I've watched it in the lives of enough other people to know that a huge hindrance to us growing in grace is that we are failing to allow the self-centered life to fall to the ground like a grain of wheat and die so that in its place, the spiritual life can blossom and bring forth fruit that pleases God. Spiritual immaturity is always battling to maintain its own old identity. That is spiritual immaturity. It desires salvation, but not sanctification. It wants the promise of heaven, but refuses self-denial. It'll take the title Christian, but never carry the proverbial towel to wash the feet of another. The Bible says preferring others above or before yourself. That is spiritual maturity. But a Christian with an identity problem is wrapped up in themselves and would never prefer prefer somebody else before themselves. Spiritual immaturity finds its identity in self. Or I could say it like this, in flesh. And they never enjoy the abundant life because the old life is too catered to. While the spiritually mature Christian thinks Christ, 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 or Bible, 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 or even others, 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 the spiritually immature Christian is hung up on me, mine, I. If you were to listen, I I mentioned this to my Sunday school class this morning. If you were to listen to the conversation that I have with Lincoln, and I I can't wait till he gets home. One of the boys passed by with an outfit that he has, and I about got choked up up here. I missed the guy. We call him, and he doesn't even remember our name. Tried to FaceTime him yesterday, and he's like, Dad, I'm busy. I'm having a good time, and they're buying me stuff, and see you when I get home. You know, he's shaving already and driving cars and things. Miss him. But if you listen to our conversations, you know what it sounds like from his side? I want, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I want to go to the park. I want to go to Target. 
I want to go to Bass Pro Shop. And I say, amen. I want to play outside. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I don't like that. I don't want to wear that. I, me, me. It's all it is. But you know what? That's okay because he's just a baby. I expected that of him. Now, he better grow out of it and hurry. But I expected that of him. He's five years old, so he's a little bit wrapped up in self because he's immature. Everybody buckle up now. Let's make the application. So it's okay because he's young. But it's kind of weird when you see an adult that's constantly even a lost, just a person who's older. And it's all, I want her. I like her. I got an opinion. Or, Here's what I think or how I feel. Or this is what I don't want. Or this is what I like. And their identity is so wrapped up in themselves. That is spiritual immaturity. That is not Jesus. Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant, made himself of no reputation, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, preferred others before himself. That is spiritual maturity. Spiritual immaturity is self. While the spiritually mature Christian thinks about Christ, they think about self. Paul preached against that in his epistles. Jesus lived against that in his own lifestyle. And the verses I read to you earlier, this is what's happening today. We only read the first half of the verses. You know, most compromise comes because you only go so far down the road and don't get all the way to the end of it. Most compromise in any area of life is because we only read the first half of a verse. If you go and read the rest of those verses, here's the thing about liberty, and we're going to talk about Christian liberty. Christian liberty does not stand on its own. It is supported by responsibility. You do not have liberty free of responsibility. But with your liberty, your freedom, to the pure all things, there comes a responsibility to those around you. We're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. Galatians 5, 13 in full gives us the entire truth. Here's what it says. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. And that's where folks say, hey, hey man, you know what that means? I'm free. I'm no longer under law. I'm under grace. But here's what the rest of it says. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve one another. Liberty's never without responsibility. They work together. And if they're not matched, your liberty will never glorify God. In Romans 14 and verse 7, he says, None of us live, uh, liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. And I said it to our Sunday school this morning, what are you teaching on this? It just came in. We're like dominoes in a line. You knock one domino down, it affects the entire row of dominoes. Same thing's true with the Christian. In your liberty, when you use it wrongfully, it can be destructive and never will it bring glory to God? 1 Peter 2.16 says, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So you study the Bible. Here's what you learn about liberty. Liberty is always tied to duty. It always is. Obligation and liberty are always paired. Responsibility and liberty are always matched together. And the reason for that is your purpose in mind is to glorify God. Colossians 1.18, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And here's what Christianity is not. Christianity is not seeing how close to the edge I can run without falling in my life. But here's Christianity. How close can I get to Christ in fellowship before life is over? How much glory can I bring to his name before he calls me up to glory to be with him? 1 Peter 4.4, wherein they think it strange. I quoted it earlier that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. The world's mindset is be free. Have your own truth. Live by your own standard. Do you and I'll do me. And let's just live life to the fullest. And that is humanism. That is carnality. That is atheism. That's the world's philosophy. The Bible puts the responsibility on the Christian. Yes, we have wonderful 
liberty in Christ, but real Bible liberty makes me not want to hurt or harm a fellow Christian, but to help and edify a fellow Christian. Amen. Our citizenship, our name, our father, our association is not of this world. It is heavenly. And our identity is not our own. We've been bought with the price for us to live is to let Christ live through our life. Therefore, because my identity is anchored in Jesus, my heart ought to desire to please him. My reactions ought to reflect his. My words ought to reflect his. My appearance ought to reflect my love for him. My worship ought to reflect the worship that pleases him. My schedule, my activities, my plans, my associations, all ought to spin from my love for Jesus. Here's the indictment against the shallow spirituality of our day, the carnality that we see in Christianity, in my own life, in churches, in your life, no doubt we could all see something. The majority of saved people today put more of an emphasis on their liberty than their responsibility. We filter most of life's decisions through our concept of liberty rather than the Bible's concept of liberty. The Bible makes it plain to us, we might possess liberty to do or not do something, but we should always consider the ripple effect of liberty. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, it said, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. And here's what that means. Just because something's allowed does not mean it's advantageous. Just because something is not illegal does not mean it edifies right? Just because we're under grace doesn't mean that we can just sin. Just because something is accepted by society does not mean it's expedient for a saved individual. There's a lot of talk about liberty, but there's not much talk about pairing it with responsibility. And here's why. Liberty is all about me. Responsibility is about Christ. Liberty is about self. Responsibility is about Christ. Liberty is about, I'm allowed to do it, so who cares? Responsibility is about, how's this going to impact the work of God? So modern Christianity will just consider the first half of many of these Bible verses. They'll quote, well, all things are lawful for me. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with Christ has made us. And I'm not demeaning that because it's a true truth. Of course it is. You've been called unto liberty, and they hold tight to the first half because on, it, on its own, they hold fast to the, now listen, if they hold fast to the first half because on its own it allows them to feel Christian and maintain their own old identity. Here's what they say. I have liberty. I'm going to watch what I want. You can. You can, watch, you can go home tonight and watch whatever you want, and it will not affect your salvation at all. Will it? They won't lose their salvation. You can go to an R-rated movie tonight if you want to. Pay 20 bucks to go watch it. Sit there, eat your popcorn, drink, and it will not make you lose your salvation. You can go out here and get drunk if you want to tonight, and you won't lose your salvation. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, then you just read your Bible. You're eternally secure in Jesus Christ. Your salvation is settled. And that is where this crowd is going. I have liberty. I'll watch what I want. I'm free in Jesus. I'm going to wear what I want. I'm no longer in bondage. I'm going to do church how I want. And we're under grace so we can go, do, say, and act how we want. But Romans 3.13 says that we don't make the law void by our faith. No, we establish the law. And what they're getting into is antinomianism, which is a big word, doesn't really mean halt. But what that word means is they're anti-law. And what they're saying is we're under grace, so now there's no, there's no obligation whatsoever. And they've miscarried 
misconstrued what grace is. Grace is not freedom to sin and get away with it. Grace sets us free from sin so that we can live a life glorifying and pleasing to our Savior. Spiritual immaturity produces a blurry at best, if it's not invisible, a blurry at best ambassadorship that presents to the lost world to, into a weaker Christian, a carnal brand of Christianity instead of a lovely, holy Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the issue. The world does not need to see me. The world desperately needs to see Jesus. Without any exception, the understanding or concept of Christian liberty produces carnality and not spirituality when you forget to add the responsibility. The grace that we're so proud that we're under is never allowed to fully take over. And then there's a lot of talk from crowds that get involved in this about growing in grace, but you look at them and their growth in grace continually makes them grow more and more like the crowd that's not saved. And instead of growing upward, they are spiritually stunted. And the cause for that kind of Christianity is the ideology of liberty that allows room for self-identification and no room for Christ-identification. And at the root of this motivation is to manipulate liberty to sin. Every sin is motivated by self. We're more New Age and humanistic than we'd want to admit. And I'm afraid the world has ingrained in us that we are not going to be fulfilled unless we find ourselves. I had never heard this term to the last few years, but like self-care. You've seen that before, self-care or self-love. I'm going to take a self-care day and go get my nails done. I'm not saying that literally, but it, I would never tell you that publicly. But anyway, I'm going to, <laughs> it's none of your stinking business what I do with my fingernails. Bless God. But I'm going to go take care of self. But that's where we're at in Christianity. It's all wrapped up in self-care and self-love. And then we use the guise of liberty, which is not liberty whatsoever, because Bible liberty is always paired with responsibility to Christ and those around us. And it's this new age thinking that wraps up everything in the human philosophy or fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And for you and I this evening, it is imperative that we grow in grace to the place where we want to impact our world for the cause of Christ. We'll crawl up on the altar, climb up on the cross, abandon our own identity, be willing to die to self, to fall to the ground, let God grow us up again so we can bear fruit that glorifies Him. So we're going to consider, and I'll go quick, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The entire chapter is a chapter of identification. If you study the context of this text, Paul is teaching the Corinthians a lesson in spiritual maturity. The sum of the message is verse 31. That is the climax, if you will. That is the pinnacle. Whether therefore you eat or drink, he said, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is the goal of the Christian life. Say amen right there. It's a good place to say amen. The goal for my life in yours is not any kind of numerical thing. It's not any kind of, uh, uh, of giving thing on a surface or, or, or work kind of thing unless what we do glorifies God. Our goal is to glorify the Lord. You can do, do, do a lot of things that look good, but do not glorify God if your heart is not in the right place. But my goal is that in all things I can glorify Him. That is the sum. But the way to reach that pinnacle is verse 23 and verse 24. So look at it with me and let's see what it says. It says in verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man, here it is, seek his own, but every man another's well, that's the same thing it teaches in chapter 6 in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Two quick truths to consider. Number one, whenever you love your liberty more than you love your Lord, your liberty becomes bondage. 
That's where a lot of Christians live today is that they're so enthralled and infatuated with their liberty or freedom in Christ, and I'll put that in quotations because I think it's a perverted understanding of it, that in essence what they have done is made an idol out of liberty, which is an abomination. And they have placed themselves in bondage in their freedom. They're tied to a style, they're tied to a philosophy, they're tied to a behavior, they're tied to a drink, they're tied to a music, they're tied to that. And they say, well, I'm free, but they're so in bondage to it that they worship the freedom instead of the Savior that gave them the freedom. But here's the second truth from this verse. You can do anything you want to do. Isn't that a scary thing to preach to people? You can. There's a lot of things that are legal tonight that you can do if you want to. You can smoke pot if you want to. It's legal, right? You can get an abortion if you want to. You can get divorced if you want to. You can be married to the same sex if you want to. You can redefine your gender if you want to. You can, and you will not lose your salvation if you were saved. But just because you can do something... Excess does not mean you should do something. Expediency. You have liberty and freedom and sufficient grace enough to cover whatever you decide to do. But when you live that way, that I've got enough grace, I can do whatever, you have ceased pressing toward the mark of glorifying God. Philippians 3.14 says, I press toward the mark. And the mark was not self for Paul, but it was the Lord Jesus Christ. You can smoke if you want to. You can drink if you want to. You can fornicate if you want to. You can steal if you want to. You can be immodest if you want to. You can be carnal if you want to. And you'll have just as much heaven as anybody else. You'll enjoy streets of gold, have a mansion built by Jesus. You're still saved, a child of God. And God uh, will, will, will not out, uh, disown you or kick you out of the family. But every single one of those things will without a doubt hinder your ability to glorify God. But you say, I don't care about that, but that's spiritual immaturity. Spiritual maturity loses identity, and with it, the old self-will dies. And a resurrection happens. It's that will surrendered to the will of God. We understand we're hidden in Christ and God, and our purpose is to lift Him up, advance His cause, and lead others to Him. And here's the truth of it tonight. We've got to get this thing turned around. I am not primarily a father, though I am a father. I'm not primarily a husband, though I am a husband. I'm not foremost a son, though I am a son. I'm not a preacher, first and foremost, even though God has called me to preach. Whatever you think you are, you say, well, I'm an, I'm an athlete, I'm a doctor, I'm a realtor, I'm a builder, I'm a friend, I'm an insurance agent. That is not what you are. You are a Christian. And because you are a Christian, you have a higher standard, a higher expectation, a higher accountability than the lost doctor, the lost realtor, the lost athlete, the lost whatever out there in this world. I don't find my identity in my bank account or the car I drive or the clothes I wear, the color of my skin, the nation I'm from, the denomination I attend, the career path I choose, my body image. I don't find my image there. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. I'm glad I'm under grace. I thank God for it. I need it every day. And I'm glad for liberty. But woe unto me if I use my liberty to make you stumble or you fall or my grace to cast shade on the name of Jesus Christ. Grace should never produce an anti-God thing in your life. 
Everybody all right? Grace should never produce anything that is anti-gospel in your life. There are some things I can do that are not illegal, and they are accepted by culture. And there's a lot of things you and I could do that the world would not even think is wrong. In fact, there's a lot of things that we can do that we don't do that the world would even celebrate if we didn't. But that is not my purpose. That is not why I've been saved. That is not what I am called to. I died when Jesus gave me eternal life. I ceased to exist. Justin died and resurrected in the Lord. And now I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. And I'm his slave and his bondservant. He's my master. He's my Lord. He's my king. And I had to do everything through the filter of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. My body's his temple. That's why Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to the Old Testament. That's the statement of a voluntary slave who doesn't want to leave his master. That slave would be set free and he'd go back and say, I don't want to leave. You've been such a good master. They'd then take that slave and put his head up to the door and they'd take a nail or all, they'd drive it through his ear into the post of the door. I like this because the same mark in the slave would be in the doorpost. Isn't that a blessing? I'm glad that he bears the marks for us. Amen. But they'd nail that thing through his ear and the rest of that man's life, he'd bear in his body the marks of his master. When you and I got saved, we were marked by our master. And now we're an ambassador for him. I'm not to live in excess, I'm to live in expediency. Let me define it, and I know I need to close. Expediency means this, tending to promote some proposed or desired object fit or suitable for the purpose. It means doing things that advance me to my goal. What is your goal? Your goal is verse 31, in all things to bring glory to God. So what is excess? Excess is going beyond what is proper. That's where America lives. America lives in excess. But the mature Christian life is filtered through Christ, the Bible, the Scripture. How does it affect others? Not through self. So chapter number 10. Chapter number 10 is a chapter about identification. He starts out by saying that Israel or the Jews were baptized unto Moses. Talks about how they were baptized unto Moses in the Red Sea. They were baptized unto Moses. Moses, uh, there by the cloud. They were baptized unto Moses uh, uh, in these different ways. That word baptism means identification. We're not talking about New Testament baptism, though we are. Baptism in the New Testament is immersion in water. This is not talking about immersion in water, but it is talking about identification. Baptism identifies us with Christ. In the Old Testament, when those Jews followed Moses through the Red Sea, it identified them with Moses. Now they belong to Moses, and Moses belongs to them. Whenever they followed the pillar of cloud, they belong to Moses. Moses belongs with them. So the whole world around them knew who they belonged to. Their association spoke about their following or their identification, if you will. You get on down in this chapter and you get, you get down into uh, verse number 15 and 16. He talks about the Lord's table. In verse number 16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion? That word is twice found, communion of the body of Christ. Here's what he's saying. Just like Israel was baptized unto Moses in the Red Sea, whenever you and I gather in the church house at the Lord's table, we are being baptized unto Christ in the essence of identifying ourselves as I believe in the Lord. He saved me, and I'm remembering him. It's communion with Christ. So the world around you now knows that you're a Christian. So here's the issue in this church at Corinth. Because you keep on reading, he says this, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Look at this verse. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. 
You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. The issue here is they wanted to know, can we save a few bucks if we buy meat that was offered unto an idol and eat it? The truth is, yes, you can. Sure you can. You can save a dollar or two if you want to. In Corinth, there's all kinds of pagan temples where they had prostitution and then offered meat to these different uh, pagan gods and things, and they'd sell the leftover meat from those sacrifices in the street, and you could buy it at a discount rate. And they're thinking more with their pocketbook than principle and saying, hey, Paul, could we save a few dollars and buy this meat? And Paul says, yep. It won't affect your salvation. Yeah, you can buy it. You have grace and liberty to buy it. But here's the issue. There's going to be a weaker brother. Chapter 6, chapter 8, Romans chapter 14. There's going to be a weaker brother that's going to see you eating meat that he knows came out of that pagan temple. And your liberty is going to be a stumbling block to him. And it used to be okay because it didn't affect your conscience. But once you know it bothers his conscience, it's sin. And he says, so you can't pull up at the Lord's table and worship him and then go sit at the table of devils because here's what it does. Even though you're under grace and you have liberty, the world sees it. And the weaker brother sees it. And two things won't happen. You're going to be a sorry soul winner. And then you're going to be a stumbling block to a weaker brother. So all things are lawful, but that doesn't mean that they're right for you. That makes sense. It's just in the Bible. You can do whatever you want. But one of these days we'll stand before God and give an account of how we impacted others. Four things to consider, and I'll close. I won't preach them, I just mention. Number one, consider the unbeliever. In everything that you and I do, we have to consider the unbeliever. Our life can be a spiritual lifeline or spiritually lethal. You've got to consider lost people in what you do. Is it worth it to act this way, to dress that way, to say this thing, to go to this place? Will it affect my ability to win somebody to Christ? Number two, consider the weaker brother. Paul may mention, he said, if meat makes my brother to offend, he said, I won't eat meat as long as the world stands. I like that because it proves the weaker brother's the vegetarian. Say amen right there. The seasoned, seasoned Christian eats steak. That'll, that'll preach, will it not? Let me ask you, I, I feel like I'm going to, is it a sin for me to drink water? No. Is it a sin for me to drink water out of a glass bottle? No. If I take a Jim Be- you probably don't know what that is, I hope you don't know what that is. If I take a Jack Daniels, you know what that is, a Jack Daniels label, and put it on that bottle and drink the water out of it, is that a sin? No. Unless somebody sees me doing it and it affects their conscience. Water is not sinful, glass is not sinful, and paper with letters on it isn't necessarily sinful unless it causes some weaker brother who watches me partake in that to think, man, look, look what he's doing, and it leads them into sin. And I harm his conscience. God's not worried about your conscience because you've got it settled, you're spiritually mature. But the reason we live at a higher standard is this. Yes, you could probably do some things that we have, st- we probably have standards set here that maybe we don't have to have if we were all spiritual. But the problem is we're not. None of us. We probably do some things. Maybe it's too, too hard, too high, whatever. It might be. I don't think it is. I'm just saying you probably think it is, and that's fine. It might be. But why is that? Because there are weaker brethren everywhere. All right, so number one, I've got to watch what I do because how is it going to affect lost people? Number two, I've got to consider my weaker brother. Look it up later, chapter 8, uh, Romans chapter 14. Oh, those are great chapters. I can do this. Here's how you ask yourself. I, I, I can do this thing. I'm comfortable doing this thing, but if I do it, how is it going to affect somebody else? 
All right? Number three, before you act, consider your church. Because look what it says in verse number 32. It says in verse 32, Give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles. That's lost people. There's, there's only two streams of people in this world. Saved people and lost people. And lost people are, con, are, are, are divided into Jew and Gentile. And then the other stream of people in this world is the second half here is, is the church of God. That's saved people. So whenever I do something or consider doing something, I had to think this. How does it affect the unbeliever? How does it affect the weaker brother? Thirdly, how is it going to impact my church? That's why he's talking at the Lord's table. When you enter the communion there at the Lord's table, that crowd that you sat there and took the drink with and ate the bread with and they see you there eating that meat off under the aisles, how is it going to affect your church? You know, the membership of a church is the greatest advertising tool of the church and the worst. It can either be, either be the best or it can be the worst. Number four, in everything you do, consider the unbeliever, consider the weaker brother, consider the church. Number four, this is obvious, consider the Savior. Take your Bible quickly, we have a minute. Romans chapter 14, I want you to see verse number 10 through verse number 12. I just want you to see what it says. This is a great chapter. I read this chapter yesterday. We were on an anniversary trip, but in the morning I got and read through this chapter and got all stirred up about it. It makes so much sense. Look what it says, and, and you fail in it. I've read it, and I was like, I fail in this area, but look what it says, verse number 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? And here's the key to remember. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Jesus is Lord of our life, but he's also Lord after this life. In everything I do, whether I eat, drink, or whatever I do, I'm supposed to bring glory to the Lord. Here's three things to ask yourself. I mentioned this to somebody. Does this please Jesus? That'll ruin a lot of things. Does this please Jesus? Number two, ask this. Would I be embarrassed if Jesus came back and saw me doing this? Then number three, can I honestly ask Jesus to bless what I'm doing right now? And if I can't answer in the positive on those things, then it probably doesn't bring glory to God. So here it is. Honestly, a preacher should, we, uh, everybody's saved has the same Holy Spirit and the same Bible. So a preacher really should never have to preach on any kind of standards if everybody was spiritual and in their Bible. Shouldn't have to waste a sermon on dress. Everybody all right? I mean, plus when you pass a certain age, it just should be an unspoken rule to loosen it up a little bit or something. Help us out. Shouldn't have to preach on that. Shouldn't have to preach on associations because we all have the same Bible and the same Holy Spirit. So I should understand if I'm growing in grace and not using my liberty pervertedly, right? About me, 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 but now I'm free to serve God in liberty. It should help me with my associations. It should help me with my priorities of life. What I put an emphasis on and what I put second place, right? And that in all things, he might have the preeminence that reorders my life if I'm not using my liberty pervertedly. It should, affect, it should affect my speech, what I listen to. You say, well, nobody won't tell me what to listen to. That's the problem. You're either not saved or a baby. Same in right there. 
Because spiritual maturity growing in grace is, you know what? There is somebody who's going to tell me. His name is Jesus. No pastor ever told me to change the way I dressed when I got saved. Nope, never. I went to a little country church where I ended up getting saved, and that preacher preached against everything, but nobody ever pulled me aside and said, now, now Justin, you ought to reconsider dressing like that when you come to church. They probably, could, by the way, they could have, and it wouldn't have bothered me because I wanted to learn. But nobody ever did that. They never said, you ought to quit listening to that music, and they knew what I listened to. They never did. But I don't do that anymore because the Holy Spirit of God did that and is doing that and still has to remind me that he's doing that from time to time. A mature Christian lives not in excess. Everybody all right? But in expediency. How is this going to affect your Sunday school pupils if you do that? How is it going to affect your children if you do that? How is it going to affect your coworkers, your lost neighbors, your church family? Your Lord, if you do that, that is expediency. All things are lawful. I've got grace, but doesn't mean I ought to do it. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.